far side. Here he is now, looking to maybe let the shot go. He steered past the keeper into the left-hand corner, and Tilly Shaching for him. He's doubled his money and registered his second, the Don's second this evening. Puss comes in from the left-hand side. He goes beyond Davison. Bugil on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a brilliant finish by Omar Bugil. Oh, what a finish! It's in towards McLean. Oh, he's found the second goal for the Dons. It's absolutely incredible. Oh, it's a brilliant save from Nick Zanev. Tipped it wide just when it was destined for the top right-hand corner. And it comes from Tilly in towards the edge of the six-yard box. Pesco it up. And now it is headed in. And it is Ryan Johnson. Pell leaping. Oh, and it's his first touch of the ball. And he's made it 2-0. Tilly, what a nonchalant bit of control as well, up against Milsom. Tilly now with a shot past the keeper! Oh, it's a superb goal! Hi guys, it's Bassi here. Hi, I'm Omar McGill. Hi, I'm Terry Skiverton. Hi, I'm Hussein Billa. Hi, Bezo here. All right, lad. I'm Ali Hamadi. Hello, I'm Johnny Jackson, and you are listening to the official AFC Wimbledon podcast. Come on, you dons! Hello, everybody. Welcome along to the official AFC Wimbledon podcast with me, Aaron Paul. I hope you're all good. Looking forward to another busy few weeks as we continue our ascent up the Football League. Here's what's to come on this episode. Striker Omar Bagil joins us and tells us about the journey from Munich to Merton. Next up, we talk to DLAG co-founder Xavier Wiggins about the brilliant work being done in Wimbledon and the surrounding areas and that all-important sleep out on December 9th. I think the work that all of the, that the football club itself does and that the volunteers at the football club do, that the trust, that the boards, that the fans, that the foundation that wished women, etc., that everybody is doing together, we just got to take a step back sometimes and realise the power of what we have got. Finally, club chair Mick Buckley joins us for a catch-up and a look ahead to the future. So we are working with um, executive in sports group and they are leading the recruitment for our next MD. I believe the closing date is this Friday. They've had over 300 applications so far, many of them of a very high quality, which I think reflects the perception of the potential we have as a club to grow. So, all that to come on the pod, but first let's sit down with Omar Bagheel after a cold morning's work on the training pitch. Omar, great to sit down with you. We haven't really had an opportunity to catch up with you on the podcast. How's the first few months as a Wimbledon player been? It's been enjoyable, really. Yeah, new faces, um, especially being a new player at the club. So you meet so many new people. Um, I'm glad we done. Well, we had a positive start. I mean, if you look at the results we had over the past, I know and Saturday was an ideal to to lose at home, but it's going to happen. So we can hopefully bounce back from it and hopefully um, pick up positive results again going forward. Tell us about you and, and the move, because Sutton had been your home for a bit, and you turn up here. Tell us about how it all came about and why you decided to come here. Yeah, I think a lot of people didn't, didn't see that move coming. I was actually away with the family down in Weymouth, and then um, I had a call from Copsey um, when I come sit down with you. and had a Zoom call with them, and then can we hopefully arrange something? If I'm being honest, there was other clubs um, interested, League One as well, as well. But then at that time, I think it was a right move for me to move forward in League Two and hopefully push push towards League One. I mean, the club itself is a massive club in League Two. And me personally thinking it shouldn't it shouldn't be in that division, but we've got to earn the right to gather that league first. And then we can talk about sort of like what, what sort of year we had. I've got one question for you that a lot of supporters have been asking. How do you pronounce your name? That's Bagheel. Yeah. Bagheel? Bagheel, yeah, that's right. I mean, over the years, there's so many different ways to, well, I heard different ways of pronouncing it, but yeah, it's Omar Bagheel. What, what, I mean, tell us about your background, Lebanese-German. Lebanese-German, Polish, so yeah, born in Berlin, mum Polish, dad Lebanese. Uh, moved to Munich with 11, moved over here when I was 16 by myself, so go to college. And funny enough, I actually never meant to stay here, I only meant to stay for a year. And then carry on studying, but because I, I didn't, I sort of stopped playing football back then because I, I got released by, by 1860 Munich. But I met the right people at the right time, and they sort of just stayed, just keep doing your thing. And yeah, stayed there working for three years, lodging, living with different families, making my money, building work, coaching, working behind the bar, you name it, sort of thing, just to pay the rent. And, yeah, after three years of grafting at Worthing, I managed to finally get my, my pro move to Fushkin Rovers, which was great. 
and then that's where the journey sort of started. How was Forest Green for you? It's a, it's a strange place, isn't it, in Ellsworth? Yeah, funny enough, I actually didn't know I was going to go on the trial first for the first week. They said just go up, and then I thought I was actually going to go and sign, but then I think I made my point clear that I am going to have to play at level, and it was a week's trial, and after Tuesday they already made their mind up that they want to sign me, but they didn't tell me till Friday, so signed me on Friday, played on Saturday, come on, go and assist. And yeah, that year we got promoted into the football league, but well, for me personally, my first promotion in the professional game, which is great. And as I said before, that's where the journey kicked on. When you come in, what kind of dressing room did you find? Because I just think we've got such a good group of guys in there. They're a really personable group and they've made this place a really enjoyable place to come. Yeah, positive environment, I would say. I mean, you've still got the experienced lads like Alex Pierce, Lee Brown and obviously Harry Powell. They're the three experienced lads before I signed here. And then for myself and Skipper, I mean, Mark Carl School, <laughs> uh, we see, yeah, so um, it's it's a great group. You've got the experience, you've got the youth, there's a lot of hunger in there, and the work rate is, is incredible. I mean, everyone's on the same page, and look, we're going to have setbacks, but then it depends how we bounce back from it because there's a long way to go. We've got another what's it, eight months to go, a lot of games to play, so yeah, looking forward to it. Who have you gravitated towards? I mean, you mentioned Jake Reeves there as your, your, your car share buddy and we'll talk about that in a minute um, as well as your love for certain snacks but who have you gravitated towards in the dressing room? As I said obviously Reeves car, car, car sharing with him I didn't even know he lives around the corner before I signed he's good as gold because he's got experience and funny enough when we used to play each other we just didn't get on we used to be literally in each other faces and stuff like that but uh, me personally he's a proper captain isn't he? yeah yeah. good and bad bad cop and good cop yeah you, you, you need that though 100% like you need to keep everyone down when everything's going well you got to don't get carried away but then when things don't go right it's the first one to say something same, same thing happened on Saturday so it keep us on our toes sort of thing uh, me personally Tilly got with him great I think you mentioned it before got with him good always laugh always be positive and then Ryan Johnson as well he's yeah. just a lovely guy isn't he yeah he's a top guy yeah Mr. Smile always, <laughs> always happy as well so yeah he's you can you can tell when he's down sort of thing, but he's the he's one of them people that are always like trying to bring the best out of you. Like because obviously every day counts sort of thing, especially in this job. So yeah, he's good as gold. Well. Are you not forgetting someone who you play out front with? <laughs> Ali, yeah, my son. <laughs> Where did that come from? It's just it's the first time I've come come across someone else with a similar background, family as well, and he's great. Like, he's got a, he's got some ability I've never seen before. I wish I had one of his age, but um, yeah, he's got a long way to go. Still got things to learn. And I keep saying to him, like, don't matter when things don't go your way, you still got so much time to learn. Things can change in football so quickly. Um, yeah, he's willing to listen. And um, even after every session, we talk about things. Obviously, what happened on the Saturday, what we can improve on. And it's the same thing with um, Josh Davison. I mean, it's a young group, young forwards, and I'm the first time I'm one of the older ones up front. So. The experience pro in that scenario how can it help the young boys to sort of like grow uh, who who's who called him your son i think he came up with it <laughs> yeah i mean it's sort of like it's one of the things where we've got a similar background same haircut different barber <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's he, he's good yeah he's fucking yeah no, i would say he's great yeah he's a top lad he's a top top lad talk to him about the car share you and Jake Reeves, what is that like going into training every day, travelling to games? I know that you guys room together as well at points. Yeah. What is that like? It's fundamental because um, I said to Mrs. the other day that like, I should spend more time with, with Jake than I should with my family or my kids. For 10 months out, we literally share the drives, which is, for instance, today, 2 hours 15, can't just coming in, hour 45 to go home because not less traffic, but it's, it's like a bromance, I would say. Yeah, Mrs. find it a little bit weird, and his Mrs. as well, but I just find it, I just find it strange, like two lads driving together, sharing the same rooms, but then we're there for the same purpose, we want to get promoted sort of thing, and it's a goal we want to reach together, and yeah, we get some good days and some bad days in the car where we don't even say a word sometimes, <laughs> but then sometimes we just bubble you about anything, like talking about anything. Who picks the tunes? Depends who's driving, yeah, if you're the driver, you pick, but then depends on the mood again what do you go for usually I like to go with like 
Afro beat in the morning, just like nice and, and chilled. But mm -hmm. then um, it depends on the podcast. So we can sometimes, sometimes pick one, a good hour and a half, just listen to that, have a discussion, agree with one another. But as I said before, like it's on a daily basis, you spend about four hours in the car sometimes. So there's a lot to talk about when sometimes there's nothing to talk about. We've got, to, we've got to talk about your choice of snack as well because oh. we discovered the other week on the official podcast that uh, you and Ali have, have taken to sunflower seeds. <laughs> the seeds, yeah. That's brilliant, that. I just love it. Since I was young on, I saw my parents do it. My dad, my mum. Everyone does it in Berlin. It's mental. No matter where you're from, that Turkish background, Lebanese one. That's how I grew up, and as soon as Ali mentioned it, because Ali went back home, didn't he, with the national team, and he bought me a, ba um, a bag back. Well, I think it's all mandated, but yeah, I couldn't resist it straight away, so I think he's going to bring me another one when he comes back on international duty. Have you got Jake Reeves on him yet? Uh, he tried it, but he, he, he's not a big fan of it. It's no. too much too much effort for, for nothing. <laughs> yeah, that's what he said. So I think I just like the... Um, it's sold off, isn't it? It's like... It's not a bad habit, but it's just something nice. Like when it's better than sweets, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's it's more enjoyable. I think me, me personally, I I, I like it because I'm used to it. It's like the cult, it's a cultured thing. Mm -hmm. Tell me about you and your, your your culture. Do you feel you're more German? Are you more Lebanese? Uh, funny if you say that. I sort of like grew up with two different sides. My dad's a Muslim, my mum's a Catholic, and I always sort of like been in in the middle where I sort of like respect both sides. But then once I turn eighteen, I'm sort of like. I'm not as interested anymore, I would say. Now I've got my own kids sort of thing. I'm not for forcing them to sort of like follow a different religion. I still respect it, like the Bible, the Quran and stuff like that. I've read that myself when I was younger. So, so my parents made me do it. And I understand both sort of religious backgrounds. So um, me personally now... I mean, religion is one thing. What about culture? Oh, um, yeah, it depends. The way I sort of been brought up with my dad's side, it's a little bit different. Or most people grow up here. I mean, with discipline, it's very big for me. And it always was big for my parents. Where sort of my mum sort of brought me up by myself, and I had to like learn the hardest way that I have to be the man of the house. So that sort of cultural thing as well, especially with the Lebanese background. When I would be involved with any man, most of it's a provider, and I need to sort of follow them footsteps like my dad used to do back in the days. And same thing if I can obviously teach them or teach my kids a few things. I want to definitely do that in the right way. Is that where you got the work ethic from? Yeah, 100%. I mean, that's why my mum, my mum's the same sort of like. When my parents sort of split up, live in two different cities, Munich's up uh, down south, Berlin's up north. So most of it was by myself because I knew my mum was sort of working most of the days and I had to make sure I'm, I'm switching on school with football and everything. So. That's where work will come from, knowing once I'm by myself, no one's going to help me, especially living over here by myself since I was 16. It's a brave move. Well yeah, brave move. Sort of, as I said, I mean, if you work towards it, it could be, could be way much better, but I'm happy with it. I mean, some people say they're not happy with their life, but I'm literally deep down happy as anything. I've got my family, young family, my wife, so I've met some great people over this journey, so I'm very grateful. Tell me about that family environment here. What's it like? I mean, you talk about your wife. You've got two kids? Two kids, yeah. Tell me about them. Yeah, so my little one, the youngest one is nearly two. Same with my eldest one, nearly four. So three, three days apart, one on Christmas Day, one on the 28th. So Christmas and Manic Day, and that sort of changed my life mm -hmm. moving forward. I always saw my friends with children, and I always wanted that sort of like environment, being that sort of environment, and... Josh Davidson just experienced that. He just had this young, a young one. Uh, it's only f three or four days old. And he already said that. It's sort of changed the way he's thinking, seeing seeing life. And it completely changed me because my kids are my reason why I'm sort of like going forward. Same with the wife. She's obviously the one that does your head in a few times, but you've got to keep going. I mean, we, we all know what I'm talking about. But yeah, kids just... Unless you, ha unless you have some, it's just... You also understand more sort of thing, but they are unbelievable and great. It's a great feeling to have them. I don't want to take this to and, and make it, you know, super emotional and stuff, but do you feel that you looked at your own situation growing up, the fact that your parents split, the fact that you had to make a lot of decisions yourself, you had to work, you had to become the provider, as you said. Do you look at that and look at 
and try try and change things for your own family. Try and have a more stable environment. Have your wife, and you know, you turn around and said she does your head in, but you don't mind that. You mm. you don't mind that she's there, and you know, you've got two beautiful children. And do, do you look at your own past and background and think, well, I have to make things different for my own children? Of course, hundred percent. I mean, everyone's got a different background, the way they grew up. Some are more sort of like lucky and not, but you make yourself your own journey in a certain way. And once you've got a opportunity to change that, you want to make the, mo- well, the most benefit, uh, beneficial way for your children. And yeah, everyone's got, as I said before, everyone's got a different background, how you grew up with your parents and stuff like that. But me deep down, I just want to be, I just wanted to be the, the own little people, do you know what I mean? Make the right choices in life. And I just got to make sure I sort of like, guide them in the right direction and stuff like that. And, yeah, I mean, with the wife as well, I mean, I know I just said about doing my heading, but it's for the good sake, isn't it? I'm doing all this for a reason, and the sacrifice and stuff like that, even the travelling. Most people don't even know about it. Most people, the people after the games, they think that I live locally. But I've got to drive home for two hours most of the time and make sure on the Monday I'm ready to go again. So, yeah, I enjoy it. I love it. And hopefully, there's, obviously, with this club, you just never know, do you? Moving forward. Back to football. Matt Gray versus Johnny Jackson. Compare, contrast. What's different for you this year in terms of how you're doing things? Obviously, look, Sutton United. I think last year, having watched them, played in one one style, and that was it. It was it was. If you don't fit our style, that's it. We're, we're done. And and you're very industrious as a team. This year, Wimbledon have changed. We're a different outfit. Got some new personnel through the door. We we look good. How different is it adapting to, to a new manager? And, and what are the differences been like between Matt and Johnny? Um, they actually know each other. It's a funny thing. Everyone knows each other in football. I mean, they, I think they've actually taught them to go about things. So they've like footballing background. But yeah, nothing, <coughs> nothing bad to say about Sutton himself. I mean, I loved my time there four years. And we achieved something no one expected us to achieve. A really great group. The thing is, people were there for a reason. Everyone needed to be there at a time. So we had like a goal and we achieved our goal to get promoted, make it all the way to Wembley. And people couldn't believe it sort of thing. And then that's why this year you can see how many players have moved on from that from that team. And I'm pretty sure they'll be all right this year. Hopefully they stay up because it's, it's a great crowd, the people behind it. So many volunteers there getting involved, making sure everything's there, provided for the players and also the, the clubs on properly. And this is a complete different situation with Wimbledon it's a massive club if you look at the stadium itself the support they've got and I wanted to bring something maybe that was been missing the last few years of Wimbledon where they'll be able to fight since up front someone gets stuck in do the dirty work and then hopefully grind out results and so far we have been doing that so step back to forward and this is long as I said before it's a long way to go talk to me about superstitions because I'm convinced you are superstitious with something but if you look around the camp certain players have their own little comforts mm. Joe Lewis has his shorts I had people at the game going what is going on with his shorts the other day um, but for you I look at the hand bandage and I think that that is that is a superstitious thing I mean you you always have got a wrist injury but <laughs> I, nobody believes me that's the thing but let's have a look at it uh, it's not much it's more like in the inside it happened about four years ago Craig, four years. Four years ago, Craig Dundas at Sutton, a pre-season in-house game. I literally run into him. He's the fitness coach. He, well, back in the days, he used to be a proper forward. He still goes now. So, um, and he's he's got sh- strong bones. <laughs> Whatever you, if you run into him, you can just feel it. And that day, I literally just run into him, and my hand went backwards. And since then, it just hasn't been right. So, so you wear the bandage. Wear the bandage. Not because I idolise Benzema or anything like that. I thought it was Jamie Vardy. <laughs> Vardy. So, I mean, it suits you. It's kind of your like war paint now. Yeah, it's just one of the things where. Does it make you look hard? Do you think people think, oh yeah, look at him, he's. Yeah, it's like, something's wrong with him. He's a hard man. Yeah, he's a hard man. <laughs> I just, yeah, I just, I'm just used to it. It's one of the things where I get my both ankles taped up, so my right foot needs to be done first, and then my left, right, mm-hmm. otherwise. It's just stuck in your mind, but it's one of the things where every single player's got something they've got to do on a Friday or Saturday to just be... Who else has got what? That's a personal question, isn't it? Yes, even how you put your boots on, the way you lace them, 
when I do like a double nod, then like tuck him underneath it. I've got to do that. And them sort of things where well, you've been doing it for years. It's just something used to it. So um, I'm not actually really sure why the other lads. Deep down, I don't know. Ali likes to listen to his music. Yeah. I can't talk to him. It's just like his own little world. But yeah, he's ready for it, isn't he? We get ready for war. Yeah. As I said before, everyone's got individual suspicion. So yeah. Absolutely. I don't want to ask why you came to Wimbledon. Because I really want the answer to be I came to Wimbledon to be promoted. But why did you come to Wimbledon? Um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a strange one because if you look at the club size, it's big. Mm-hmm. And everyone knows it as well. I mean, there shouldn't be in this division, but there's a reason why you, why we are in League 2. And I want to be part of something to to be that person to get them back in the league. If you look at club size that I've been at previously, Forest Green, Bromley, Sutton... You don't really class them as big clubs, and you see on social media when people talk about it, like name your big six in League Two, and you're never going to mention the clubs. I'll just mention sort of thing, and Wimbledon is one of them with the, with the fan base, with the support we've got. Even after games, when I lose, I'm always upstairs, and people know and appreciate what we're doing this season, especially compared to the last two years. And I just want to get something out of it. Do you know what I mean? It's like not proving people wrong, so I'm trying to prove myself right. Like. I'm 29 now. I know I come into the game quite late, but I can still win things. Do you know what I mean? And that's why I'm here, sort of thing. Try to play every game, just get stuck in and grind results out. We'll finish this on a light-hearted one. Um, I'm gonna ask you a few questions about the dressing room, just to just to see how you've taken to it and who you want to dob in. Um, first question is: Who's got the best clobber in the dressing room? Who's the best dressed? Dress sense. Yeah, it's my car school, Jack Reeves. Yeah? Yeah, he'll enjoy that one and he knows it as well. Yeah, he always wears his best gear for training. Who's the worst? Oh. oh. Your face then. The thing is, Jack Curry. Really? JC. Yeah, he's, there's this one jumper he likes to wear and no one likes it. Yeah, but he likes it. I don't think he likes it anymore. Oh. I think he knows it now, yeah. Is he gonna? Can you cut that that bit out? I said his name. <laughs> yeah, I ain't cutting it out now. Believe uh, JC, yeah. Sorry, JC. Who's the teacher's pet? Teacher's pet. Yeah, who's Johnny's little pet? Who's? <sighs> I'm not really sure. Because usually you would pick someone who's close to him. So like, if he wants to send over information onto us, he usually would. Well, Paul the captain or the vice captain, so. Mm, but then. That's not the question. The question is who's the teacher's pet? Who's the one at the end always with him, just knocking around and having a chat? Yeah, it's Ali. Yeah. I knew it straight away. Yeah, it's I knew it. It's probably honestly the most potential. Before. <laughs> 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 yeah. um, who's the last in but first out? Last in, first out. Lee Brown. Yeah? He's fast when it comes to that. Yeah, when it's home time. It's Shower home time. change out the door. It's home time. Drive us waiting. <laughs> <laughs> Who's the dressing room DJ? Um, I think it was um, James Ball, because Ali was away, but usually it's um, Ali as well. Yeah. Or C-Mac, yeah. What kind of tunes they play? It's a mixture, yeah, both R&B, hip-hop, just get the boys going. Um, depends as well, match day, gym work. So if you know gym... You want to get that ten percent on if you don't. If it's a match day, you want to be nice and relaxed, sort of thing, before every game. Who's got the silkiest skills? Who's the most skillful player we've got? Ooh, Paris, Paris lot. Really quick feet. I can't get near him. Unless I'm too heavy, he's he's rapid. Him and Tilly, yeah. But then speed wise, Paris is definitely up there. But then Tilly on his left foot. Even today, I just want to, I just want to boot him. <laughs> Just keeps going past me, but yeah. Uh, who's the moaniest player in the dressing room and on the pitch? Imani Little. Really? Yeah. Why? Just, just always moans. Always moans. I could be up there as well, to be fair. Fair enough. At least you're honest about it. Yeah. Like, I'm Imani Little. <laughs> <laughs> Imani, solid. Um, I know the answer to the next one, but who's the dressing room comedian slash prankster? Harry Pell. Yep. Yeah, really that he's just Next, a troublemaker, isn't he? Troublemaker. He just wants the boys to get, get them going. Do you know what I mean? If there's, let's say, we lost on a Saturday on a Monday morning, he wants the boys to be sort of like, 
get a laugh out of him. He's great. Yeah, you need that sometimes. He's great. Uh, who performed the best initiation in pre-season? We had a Benidorm, didn't we? Yeah. yeah. I think it was Bezos. That was good. Was it Bezos up there or was it Gaffa? Who was it? You well, that's not an initiation, is it? To be fair, you're right. Yeah. Because we were actually in a pub and the thing was, as soon as you started singing, everyone jumped on it. Yeah. We had Jack Reeves. I think he had enough clubs to have enough practice to to get a place going and I think he did. You know, we made Connor Evans do his own initiation on the pod. Yeah, he sang Uncle Cracker, follow me. Nah, I can't. I can't do that. I've done it Friday night, and it was, that was bad enough Friday night. You don't know how you met me, you don't know why you can't turn around. Goodbye, all you know is when I'm with you, I make you free. And swim through your veins like a fish in the sea. Come on, Arnie. Singing, follow me, and everything is alright. And if you wanna leave, I can guarantee you won't find nobody else like me. Who's the worst in training, but best on the pitch? Could be me. Really? Yeah, training. Do you not enjoy training? I do at times, and that's that. But that's me. Be moaning it every day. Oh, it's too cold this morning. Man, it's too hot. It's just, it doesn't stop. But then, yeah, I probably just gonna take the bullet here for me. There's a, there's only so many times you can bat yourself about as well every week when you're like, oh. yeah. But then I'd rather be one of them where when it comes to training, oh, your team was because of you. But when it comes to a Saturday, I'm not gonna let that happen, sort of thing. What's your uh, what's your choice of football boot? Tempos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just comfortable. Always been a night man. Always night. Swapped the ones, got bad blisters, I sent them back straight away. Yeah, so that's about four or five years ago. But yeah, always been nice, tempos now, nice and soft. What is your night before a game routine? Usually send over, yeah. Um, wife's not happy with it, but it's the best way to prepare for a game. So once again, with with Jack Reeves, hotels, sharing, even Sunday sharing a room, that's how close we are. Um, day before training, treatment, Spa, recovery, and then have some food together. And then most times there's a championship game on and have a chat. What's your go-to food? Oh, it's going to be pasta before. Yeah? Yeah. Pasta. After the game, it's a different story. Go on. Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> every time? Not every time. Depends on the mood. Depends what time we get home. You got an invite to a curry on Saturday and you, you turn it down, so... If you don't get home eventually. It's great. It was great. I would have talked to you back. Um, <laughs> this is a real naughty question, but it's going to be my last question, Omar. How does it feel to play at a football club with a proper ground? It's good. It feels good. <laughs> no, you, you, feel, you feel it. You feel it. Definitely feel it. I mean, always buzz off when you play someone away. I think the first time I sort of had that feeling in a football league was Bradford away. When they got a corner, you hear the, like, the crowd going. It's similar, similar to us. You feel that intensity of the fans that you want. They want you to do well, and you always feel the disappointment when you don't win, and that's the gut bit about the players where you have to clap them. But then deep down, you feel awful because you didn't win the game, and you basically win most people's Saturdays, which is the truth. But then, hopefully, the week after we can make up for it. Hi, Mark. Love any work. Thanks for joining us on the pod. From the training ground to the relatively cosy confines of Zoom, where we catch up first with Xavier Wiggins of the Don's Local Action Group. Zav, how are you, pal? Yeah, really good, thanks. Hope you are too. Yeah, all good, all good. Um, Zav, tell us about the Don's Local Action Group set up during COVID. What does it look like today? Where are we now? So we're in a real steady phase, I think. Um, We're kind of nearly four years, believe it or not. So that's four years next March. Um, and volumes are quite steady. Um, but in in food, in furniture and in digital uh, laptops for, for kids and, and things. So, um, yeah, we, we've got, you know, it's a normal day. Where are we today? It's a normal, it's a normal day in October and we've got, 100 to 120 people out there standing outside shops collecting food in the hub delivering food um wiping laptops dealing with furniture delivering furniture um and that's just a, that's just a normal day um so we've had over two and a half thousand registered volunteers 
um, and the quantities quantities of support that we're giving are still very very high, but but fairly constant. How do we continue to do what we do? How, how does DLAG continue to raise money and support such a, a large scale of families and, and and people across the borough and neighbouring boroughs? It's just become a real thing that people do. If it, whether it's whether it's donors at the shop, so that if you think about that, they're they're vital, right? If donors suddenly stop leaving food at the stalls, we've got a problem. Um, but they've been consistent. Even, even when the you know, inflation is biting and food prices were rocketing, um, what we were getting was pretty consistent, um, which is great. Then the um, partners, I think, we, I think we've got a lot better at working with corporate partners. We, have like, we, we work with Unilever, Microsoft, Department of Transport, Pfizer, um, that all sorts of all, all sorts of companies that do corporate volunteering with us, and then once they've done some corporate volunteering, they look at other ways that we can work together. We've got our you know our hub is at Kappa, and like they're a massive help. You know, with it without them giving us the warehouse, literally just supporting us like that. You know, it'd be a lot harder. So we've got we've got partners who fill our van with petrol once a week. Um, so, so we've got a bit of an ecosystem going on. A lot of the volunteers, most of the volunteers kind of come and stay. Um, mm. We don't lose many. Clearly, some circumstances change or whatever. But, but you know, we've, we've still got hundreds and hundreds from the beginning that are still there, that still, that still give up their time. And there's, and there's little communities. And there's the wider Don's Local Action community. And then there's communities within, you know, you've got, you've got things like Team Surbiton and, and, who look after stuff over there and there's there's friendships and and it's it's just a real it's just a real positive kind of ecosystem we've got we've got clarity of purpose we talk about we talk about that purpose we talk about the impact we t- we tell someone that if they're standing outside a shop in the rain and they think they've had a bad day because they've only collected say three boxes of food on a shift that's three people fed for a week right that's that's massive so so there is which we talked about the impact and we and we like we try and thank them as well right because because without them it's it's impossible to do what we do so it's so it's a yeah it's a real real positive kind of system that we got going i mean we we sometimes we we call it d-lag we may forget that it is the don's local action group what does the partnership with the football club look like yeah it's really positive and fairly fairly low maintenance to be honest we we get we get some really good marketing exposure um through you know led boards and program ads and um you know ge- generally when we ask for help um we're giving it right we're giving out leaflets in or outside the ground or whatever um we've got in a really good rhythm now of players um coming and helping and we don't we don't want players to turn up for the photo opportunity right we've got a we we want them you know, as a Wimbledon fan myself, I, I I want them to understand that sport has a purpose at the heart of communities. It's you know what they're doing is important. I don't just want them to rock up, get a picture, and go home. Um, so we've got in a good system there. The, the academy have started helping as well. Um, women's team have helped in the past. Um, so so that so the so the club definitely definitely help us. Um, and what and what's really interesting is. The public a lot of the time just know us as the Dons. All right, I'm going to Sainsbury's. I'm going to give to the Dons, right? Which is really nice. And the, and the, the clearest example I can give of that was, you know, the, the residents associations. Um, you know, a lot of them were anti-Plough Lane as they would be. Sports stadium built on the doorstep. You know, they're not going to like it, are they? So they were fearing the worst. Um, and now they come up to our stalls and say, "We're so happy you're back." Right? We 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 were wrong. We, we look, look at look at you guys doing this every day. It's so good for 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 the football club, and it's so good for us that that we're um, we just we just recognise there's a there's a really good partnership that that goes on, and and we get a lot of support. It's lovely to be back in in the Borough Merton, and it proves how important this football club and its sort of subsidiaries, how important they are to to the London Borough Merton, and and why it was so important Huge. for 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 the club to come home. Um, what's yeah. your personal involvement? How, how has D Lag changed your life as Zag, Xavier Wiggins 
father, husband, brother. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's um dramatic, really. I kind of at the beginning of COVID, I kind of stopped my career, um, and just and just did this, and and so I'm I'm pretty much a full time volunteer. I do do a little bit of consultancy work on the side, but but um, but I yeah, pretty much volunteering a little bit like air traffic control. I guess I'm not really in the hub. I do the I do the odd delivery because because I think it's important to remind myself of of what we're doing all this for. So so I go and um I, I go and take food to people and and um I find that useful. Um but no generally I mean at the moment I'm deep into organizing the events, um working with teams like commercial outreach and things. I speak to the I speak to the guys in the hub, Craig, Tim, Rob, um multiple times a day. Um I'm a trustee, so I've got responsibilities that go with that. But yeah, no, it's been a complete life changer. It's it's um taught me taught me a hell of a lot. I'd I'd had all of my career in property and this is just a completely different way of and yeah, I'm I'm really happy that I did it. But living a slightly different lifestyle but i'm cool with that now we are sat here talking in october because there's a, an event coming up in december uh well there's events coming up all, all across the calendar but there's one particularly in december that firstly manager the director of football and the womble the mascot yeah. hayden is it, they're going to be involved um it's the big sleep out tell us more about it yeah so we've got um we've got two two big events going on so that so the the first one is the 30th of november which is our first gala dinner um, so we'll have 400-ish people, um, which will be the biggest event has been at Plough Lane. Um, we're doing it properly. We've got fantastic entertainment. It's hosted by Faker Others, who's a member at Old Rucks, the sports club, who were very, very um, important to us right at the beginning and all the way through this. Lots of their, lots of their members have become volunteers. Um, so she's hosting. We've got a band of man, um, is the entertainment who's brilliant and does loads on the circuit. We've got um we've got Emma Coney Bear, who's a who's a um kind of very funky Hoxton DJ. Um and, and the food's being done by Atul Kotcher. So he's a he's a two times Michelin star chef. Um so so yeah that's great. We're selling selling places and tables for that now. Um, and then on the 9th of December, much less glamorous, but but the big sleep out at Plough Lane, and we we kind of we we we're growing it. We want to, you know, we raised seventy five thousand pounds last year, which is vital revenue for us, and um, to be able to carry on what we're doing, um, and um, and it's good fun as well. So there's a good build up. It's the Swindon game during the day, then we're in the Phoenix in the evening, lots of us, and 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 then and then the sleep out and. As you say, Johnny Jackson, Craig Coat, Hayden the Womble, ex-mayors, councillors, current current people, Wimbledon fans, volunteers, everyone getting together, sleeping out and and um, raising lots of money. It's the talk of the BBC London office. So, um, yeah, <laughs> you, you might see us down there this year. If we yeah, it would be amazing. The more, the more the merrier and the more, and the more noise we can all make together would be really, really good. Absolutely. What can someone do to help DLAG? So there's so many different ways, right? So, so the most important thing we we need we need to keep our shifts full at the stores. So up to ten stores every day, seven days a week, people collecting food, and it is really it's a really nice thing to do. You're standing outside, you're you're saying hi to people. People are putting something on the table on the way out, and you're saying thank you, right? It's nice and simple, and it's as it's as raw and as impactful as you can get, right? So we always need people doing that. We need drivers, we need people working in the hub. But there's other things, right? There's social media, there's marketing, there's collaterals, there's websites, there's there's um there's there's organizing events, there's attending our events. I mean, this is this is another thing. In the summer, we we attended over 25 um events, right, in our community, putting across, yes, the DLAG brand, but but you know, a lot of the time we we were alongside the foundation, alongside Wish, alongside the football club. And we're all and the women's team getting involved. We're all we're all doing these things together. So there's there's um there's there's so many different things that people can help with, whether they're graphic designers, PRs, um, strategic people, because we don't, you know, we've never sat there and said we get everything right. Um we, you know, we're we're a million miles from perfect. So anyone who feels they can improve us in any way, we're we're all ears. We we 
know, there's there's something for for anybody. We and and we big a big mantra of ours is we tell people they've got to do as much or as little as they want to do, right? So it needs to fit into their lives. We never want them resenting it. We don't want them. We don't, we don't want them to ever leave either, right? Because we want to say, just do the level of volunteering that you're comfy with and that you're happy with. And if it's not working for you for whatever reason, come and talk to us, and we'll put you in something else. What does the future hold for yourself, for DLAG? How how does this organisation, this brilliant organisation, grow? So, as we do as a football club, right? We do things differently, and and I'm fiercely proud. Of, of what the club has done. I know I know we haven't had a smooth run in the last months, but, but I'm fiercely proud of what we do. But we've always done stuff, not paying much attention to what is normal and what the others do, right? And I think DLAG's bang on the money with that as well, right? So we, um, you know, other food organisations, and they're fantastic organisations, but they, but they put a box in a shop and they hope someone flings a tin in, right? Mm-hmm. We stand outside with humans and talk to people. It's very different. Other food organisations wait for food to, uh, so they go and collect their food. We don't believe in that because there's dignity and there's, you know, a, a lady carrying a, a shop for four people for a week on on the bus or whatever or down the road is is hard. So we deliver it to them, right? So we believe that we do things differently. Um, the way we do our furniture and digital. So so we're going to carry on doing what we're doing and trying to improve but more widely i'm i'm personally very keen to share some of the good practice that we've got but also other good organizations around the country um and i'm looking at creating something uk wide where let's take an easy example newcastle united foundation might do fantastic stuff with food by harnessing their fan base Right, but they might not do digital. And actually, if you haven't got enough money for food, you, you probably, you, your kid probably hasn't got a laptop, so probably would be falling behind with learning versus those that have, or might be living in a house that doesn't have a working microwave or washing machine or whatever. And, and we want to share that good practice around the place. Well, I, I want to get commute, I want to get sport realizing what a responsibility it has to make its communities better because the power that it's got um, with its own brand, but with its fan bases, with its member bases, the power that sport has to improve our country is enormous. And I, and I don't think we're scratching the surface. So I'm, I'm really enthusiastic about getting into getting into doing some of that as well. And as a Wimbledon fan, finally, why is D-Lag so important for, for this football club? Um. I think it just serves as a daily reminder that we just don't take any crap, right? We've got we've got poverty within hundreds of yards wherever we are in the boroughs, right? We've got poverty there. So we're not just looking at it and leaving it be. We're doing something about it, right? When we when we needed to build the stadium, we did something about it. We didn't can can you imagine that you rate you're eleven million pounds short on the stadium? And you've got volunteers standing outside Canary Wharf asking people to invest in the Plough Lane Bond, for example, right? We just do things differently. We're proud to be different. Um, so I think we cement that. I think I think the work that all of the, that the football club itself does, um, that the volunteers at the football club do, that the trust, that the boards, that the fans, that the foundation that wished women etc that everybody is doing together we just got to take a step back sometimes and realize the power of what we have got and and what we have built together and and we need to we need to celebrate it more than we do we can we can always find we can always find problems but but let's celebrate and let's let's just let's just really get stuck into the next few years as one Great talking to you. Thanks for joining me on the official AFC Women Podcast. Appreciate your time, pal. Thank you. Cheers. A big thanks to Zav for the chat. The sleep out is going to be fantastic this year. 9th of December. Sign up via donslocalaction.org. Now to our last feature, and we sit down with club chair Mick Buckley. Mick, thanks for sitting down with us here on the podcast. Firstly, how are you? I'm good, Aaron. Thank you. It's a pleasure. I think the last time we did this was in July. Yeah. 
so it's yeah. changed but um no, it's good to be good to see you tell us very simply how are things going at the club well there's lot, lots of ways i can answer that question i guess we're a football club and and the bit people are most interested in is the football and i remember sitting with you in the summer and talking through some of the things we had tried to do pre-season so you know we tried to improve the training ground by putting in better facilities we were strengthening things like sports medicine we were adopting a slightly different recruitment strategy um, and we were trying to get players in as early as possible so that we could try and create a real strength of sort of sense of togetherness in pre-season. Um, all those things went well. I think uh, from a footballing point of view, uh, with the exception of a few missed penalties, which is a bit harsh, um, I think by most measures, it's been a great start to the season. You know, we um, I think we have nine more points than we had this time last year. We're sitting three points off second place. Um, for people who are interested in data, all of the data shows our players are fitter. They're covering more ground. They're sprinting more. They're regaining the ball more quickly when we lose possession than they were last season. So I think um, if you ask Johnny, Terry, Craig and the staff, they would probably tell you they're disappointed. The performances have not merited more points. Um, it's early days, but I think things are pointing in a in a really positive direction. Lovely stuff. I mean, in terms of the business side of the club, look, I, I like to kind of split it into two: the football side and the business side. Tell us about the business side of it. Yeah, I mean, I, just just finishing on the football things. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Wimbledon fan as well, and you know. Aside from the points total and the data of how quickly people are running, the before, the atmosphere in the stadium has just been great, which is what we all want. And we've also had a couple of great cup nights, haven't we, uh, um, against Coventry and at Chelsea. So we've got we got some points, we've got a great experience, and, and we're getting some plough lane memories. And really, you know, the, there haven't been that many performances at plough lane since we got back there. Um, you know, we're starting to create some now, which is good. And the, the other thing I should say on the football side is that whilst the academy is there to develop talent primarily, they also want to win games. And they are um, the under-18s and the under-16s are both top of their respective leagues. <laughs> and the other thing I should say, really importantly, because our women's team are really going for promotion this year, um, as a result of winning last weekend, they're also top of their league. So I will come on to the business side, Aaron. But the, the football, uh, you know, we've had we've had a, some tough times recently. So whilst things are going well, we should we, we should definitely reflect on that. I think. Brilliant, brilliant. On to the business. Yeah. So the, the business side of the club. In fact, we we have a board meeting this afternoon. So the October forecast came through. Um, we we set ourselves a budget for the year every year and every month we review our progress against that budget um and the good news is from a business point of view we are on track to hit that budget because football is going well that's mirrored by the football parts of the business so things like commercial sponsorships hospitality and ticket sales and merchandising are all going very very well um Having spent time with the guys in the club shop, they've got some fantastic merchandise arriving between now and Christmas, which is really, really exciting. So I think on the on the other side of the business, the um, you know, the non-match day business, whilst we're now building business and putting on more and more events, the costs of casual staff, the costs of food, the costs of utilities, is it, it is still quite tough to turn that business into the profits that we want. So obviously we, we want as much of that money as possible to drop into the playing budget. Um, and we're, we're still working our way through that. So, um, so no, so business is okay. I mean, the other thing related to that is the sort of the, the experience people have when they come to our stadium and we're still working very hard just to try different things there. So, you know, the DJ, spinning mostly 80s stuff it seems outside the pub but it's very enjoyable the kids are enjoying the autograph zone um 
more and more people are coming up to the Viticult Lounge to mix with the players after the game. And um, one of the things that will happen in the next few weeks is a new sound system in that lounge, which means that people will be able to hear much more easily the post-match presentations. So um, in, ter- in terms of the day-to-day business, it's it's going okay. And in terms of the fan experience, we're constantly trying to see how we can improve it. I know you can't say very much about recent events, Mick, but how are things going with regards to recruiting a new MD for the club? Well, thanks for respecting that. I mean, I one of the more difficult things I found about playing this role at the club is not being able to communicate fully when it's not in the club's best interest to do so. Um, and recent events also have a legal dimension. But you asked you asked about the recruitment. So we are working with um, Executive in Sports Group and they are leading the recruitment for our next MD. I believe the closing date is this Friday. They've had over 300 applications so far, many of them of a very high quality, which I think reflects the perception of the potential we have as a club to grow. So um, they'll present us with a shortlist around November the 6th. We'll then have a couple of weeks of interviews and hopefully we'll be able to announce our new MD at the end of, uh, towards the end of November. Brilliant. We've talked about the potential of the club. We've always talked about it. Where are we with regards to maximising our potential and how do we continue to to evolve? Yeah, I think I think that's a really good question. I mean, we we do have amazing potential. We built this, you know, working together, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of people. I don't know how many. It'll be interesting to see just how many people have volunteered since day one back in back in 2002 and just before that. But working together, we built this fantastic £32 million stadium. Uh, we own our freehold. We have a planning permission to further develop the stadium when we want to. Um, I remind people we're located in one of the most lucrative parts of Western Europe. We're fully in control of our destiny. You know, we own the club, so we are in control. Uh, we got an amazing story. we got an amazing brand. We have a large, enthusiastic growing supporter base i mean sadly we've only won at home nine times in two years and yet we have more and more people coming to watch the team which really shows there is a local demand for kind of community owned and accessible football so there's loads of potential on on top of that our track record of developing talent uh we have a great women's team we have amazing partner charities i know you just chatted to xavier about dlag mm-hmm. um, the, the list goes on there's lots of potential, and I think your question is how how do well we are we are developing. Um, you know, if you if you look at what we've achieved in the last five years, the club has moved forward quite a bit. However, you know there are there are a number of challenges as well. So, the, in term in terms of how we grow, there are some real short to medium term challenges. So. We have amazing potential, but we need to find a way of dealing with the full cost of creating this amazing stadium. Um, you know, it's as we always talk about, the club has £10 million worth of debts through the Plough Lane bond. Every year we have to pay £400,000 of interest to our wonderful bondholders. Um, and we need to find ways of repaying that money with the first payments due in April 2025. So... We have debts that we need to deal with and interest that we need to pay. Uh, We also compete against clubs where generous owners, speculators or investors um, are prepared to lose money every year. So the average the average club in League Two loses over a million pound a year. You know, we simply cannot do that. So um, we need to figure out a way of dealing with our financial challenges so that we can move forward to the next phase, if you like. But we've had significant player sales. That must have helped, right? Yeah, we, we've had some really good player sales. But if you remember, when we got relegated from League One, we decided that despite losing about £700,000 of revenue, we would try and keep our playing budget at around the same level. And that was essential, as there really isn't very much difference between bottom third League One budgets and, and lower half of League Two budgets. So really, we funded um, the last two seasons, remained competitive in League Two by selling players. 
So it's a good point. I think it's important for people to know that up until this point, player sales have given us the ability to compete as opposed to giving us the ability to pay down debt. And, um, you know, it's um, we have an amazing academy. We're fortunate to have had such a pipeline of talent. Lots of people have noticed that the days of big transfers from League Two to the Championship and other places have dried up somewhat. So the sales of Rodoni and Asal are anomalies, really, as would have been the sale of Jack Curry had we accepted the offers made. Another fan-owned club that's doing really well, Exeter City, they've really made the most of their catchment area and benefited to the tune of £10 million from player sales. We are still some way behind that figure. And unless Jack Rodoni heads to Real Madrid, it's unlikely, despite our best efforts, we will repay our debts just from player sales. So I think... For this reason, the Dons Trust is in consultation with their members on different ways of dealing with this situation around the debts. Uh, and like we always do, I'm sure we'll find a way through the challenge so that we can really realise our potential. What about you, Mick? A lot of confusion about your situation, your role. What, what kind of clarity can you give us? Yeah, I mean, I was asked 19 months ago if I would get involved for four months. Prior to that, I'd been a director of various boards around the club for 10 years. Uh, I was very happy to do that. Uh, this got extended in increments of time whilst the club has been sorting itself out for the future. Um, the latest term I had was due to finish in November and the PLC and Don's Trust boards have just asked me to continue. So we've all agreed to review things again in the spring and see where we are. I guess I originally agreed to step in as I was concerned about how the club would deal with a possible relegation. As we know, this soon became a definite relegation uh, and as such was our first setback as AFC Wimbledon. I thought it would really test our togetherness um, and wanted to try and hold things together through that setback. Uh, and we, I think we're doing okay. I think it's a privilege to work at the club. Um, I get to work with amazing staff, volunteers, fans and board members. Um, it's a real privilege to do it and I'm happy to do it until the boards ask me to stop. There's something that gets mentioned a lot by supporters on, on social media and I think it's fair now to give you the opportunity to talk about it and reflect on it and it's that fans forum. I know it was a while back but surely it's it's a something to learn from Mick even at your your tender age of 35 yeah I think so I think it's important that we look at what's gone well and understand why it went well and do more of it and I think it's also important we look at what didn't go well and understand the reasons for that so I think the fans forum is definitely in the latter um category Aaron um I think looking back you know, it came at the end of weeks of relentless pressure for everybody at the club. Um, I think partially, not making excuses, but maybe partially because of that, the levels of preparation were not what we aspire to. Uh, I think that includes myself. I don't think I read the room well, but it was uh, it was certainly an interesting experience to sit in front of sit in front of a few hundred people um and explain and defend the ball's decision not to change the manager at that point and i understood the anxiety in the room um so it was a challenging evening but i think we we would do it very differently next time i think one of one of the things that came from it as well was an external comms review that's been going on in the background and uh, that will be reporting out to the boards and will then be shared in the next few months Mick, we're coming towards the end of our chat. I just wanted to know, is there anything else we need to know about? Any other business, if you like? Yeah, well, I suppose um, there is. there are a couple of things. I wear two hats at the club. So as club chair, which is mostly what we've been talking about in this interview, I manage uh, the managing director, Johnny, Craig and Michael Hamilton in the academy. I have another role, which is chair of the PLC, where I draw up agendas and, and chair that particular board. So the PLC board um, is appointed by the Dons Trust Board. 
uh, and it's appointed to kind of run the club. And it's made up of myself, Nick Robertson and Ian McNay. And we're joined by three representatives from the Don's Trust Board. So we're charged with operating the club, reporting back to the owners. So I think one of one of the things I would like to do is have a forthcoming session just to explain again how this board structure works. It's been very, very busy doing stuff this year. Seems to be working quite well. Uh, one of the things we're about to do is recruit three non-exec directors to strengthen the PLC board. Um, and that's something that we'll be talking about some more in the coming weeks. So if that interests you, then look out for those announcements for recruitment coming up soon. Mick, I really appreciate you you taking the time out to join us. I know you're a busy man, so thank you for joining us here on the Official Club Podcast. It's a real pleasure, Aaron, and keep going with the podcast. I've really enjoyed it so far. It's been awesome. great. Thank you. A huge thank you to all of my guests on this episode of the Official Wimbledon Podcast, Omar Bagheel, Xavier Wiggins and Mick Buckley. Don't forget the Don's Local Action Group Big Sleep Out 3, the 9th of December 2023 at the Cherry Red Record Stadium, Plough Lane. Make sure you head over and sign up now at donslocalaction.org. One night only. Join us in the fight against poverty. Thanks for your time again. Here's Bezo. Get every single episode of the official AFC Wimbledon podcast the minute it drops. Just head to Acast, Spotify or Apple Podcasts and hit subscribe. Come on you dons!